Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. Welcome to another episode of Misread Podcast. I'm Jolene. My name is Cassie. And we have a special guest with us today, <laughs> Yes, we have a special guest today on the show. Joining us from Delaware, he goes by the nickname The Villain on Bookstagram, and his hot take on books are always highly anticipated. Please welcome Reggie Bailey to the show. Hi, Reggie. Jolene, I really appreciate this. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. I met Reggie on Bookstagram, which is like the book online community and Instagram. And uh, he always has really good reviews on books. And I'm always looking forward to what he's reading and what he has to say. So I thought it would be really cool for him to join us in this episode. Because this book that we're going to review today is a book that he has raved about. (laughs) on Instagram the thing also is that we're two girls on this show and this particular book it's called A Lucky Man and it's written by Jamel Brinkley and it's a debut short story collection exploring the complexity of black men's lives and as I said we're two girls so we have our own way of you know understanding a book or misreading a book but we thought it would be really cool to have a male perspective just to give us more insight just to give us what his experience was like reading the book and how what he thought of it really and if it was even accurate in some points you know and so I thought Reggie would be an amazing guest to have and to share his thoughts on it as he loved the book exactly just to give our listeners a background on who he is can you just tell us Reggie more about yourself how you where you're from and anything you'd like to share any personal details or not personal (laughs) details that you'd like to share with the book community how'd you find us even sure so um you know with with bookstagram i mean i tend to find like just a lot of accounts i'm like i I follow like a lot of people too just because i want to see i'm trying to see what everyone's reading i mean i'm trying i'm like the guy who's trying to have like a million friends on goodreads (laughs) and everything just because i'm just all into what is everyone reading right yeah and not even necessarily because i'm going to i guess add everything i see to like my to be read list but just i want to know what what is the talk of the town right when it comes to books as far as so that's that's pretty much how i found you all just you know looking through uh you know bookstagram community Mm-hmm. Now you come across uh, Gentle Women Club, and guess now we're here. The rest is history. <laughs> I guess yeah. to share a little bit about me, you know, I, I live in Delaware now. I'm originally from Virginia, um, but I came out here, and I've, I've lived out here since my college years. Okay. So, um, you know, now I just work and everything. I work um, work at a bank. Uh, I believe I'm like uh, Cassie in that regard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just working at a bank. I read as much as I can, and... Um, Awesome. That's that's pretty much it. What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading a book called Brother mm-hmm. by David Cherry Andy. I'm sure y'all are familiar with that. Mm, no, I've never heard of it. No? no. Yeah, he's um he's actually the book takes place in uh Toronto. Okay. Um in nineteen ninety one. Um it is uh it's about two two main characters. One is Michael and it's about his brother who is no longer with us. His name is Francis. And um, I think I said this, but it takes place in 1991 in Toronto in a neighborhood called Scarborough. Yeah. And to be even more specific, uh, it's, uh, I guess, a little subdivision called The Park. Okay, yeah. And so it's, so it's really cool because, you know, you're seeing, I guess, these, these guys in, like, this kind of rough neighborhood. Yeah. So you, the big theme throughout the book is posturing. Like, just how they feel they need to carry themselves um, just to get by on a day-to-day, just so, you know, no one will bother them when they're just doing normal activity. Right. Um, That's a big theme. And then what's also a big theme is Francis's sexuality. Like, Mm. you know, is he posturing not only to look tough, but also hide the fact that perhaps he's, you know, into men. 
So there's a lot going on. I'm not wow. finished yet. I'm getting there. Yeah. But it's, uh, very good writing, though. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it sounds really... We might have to read it and have you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. I'd be more than happy. <laughs> um, so, to get into A Lucky Man by Jamal Brinkley, I know you said that it's a book that you really, really enjoyed. How did you guys experience the book, and how did you feel reading it? So, the first thing I could say is that was only the second short story collection I've ever read. Uh, okay. Prior to that, the only short story collection I read was Crick Crack by Edwidge Danica. Oh my god, I read it and, too. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was really good too. So yeah. it, it's it's just it's I, I guess I'm blessed really that the first two short story collections I completed were like awesome, right? Yeah. So, um, and I, I come across a lucky man. It's something that I had seen probably towards the end of last year. Um, or either the beginning of 2018. Um, so I was anticipating it just because, you know, one thing, I've even talked to a couple of bookstagrammers about this, just how there there aren't, it doesn't seem at least a lot of, there doesn't seem to be a lot of contemporary black men in fiction. You know, a lot of times when you read black men, it's Richard Wright, James Baldwin, yeah. Chester Himes, you know, a lot of authors who are dead, uh, right. You know, not even to be like harsh, but they're no longer with us. So mm-hmm. you're getting older stories. But I was excited just to see, you know, a debut author, you know, a black man writing about black men and boys. So it was on my list kind of by like default. And then to read it and for it to actually be amazing was just icing on the cake. And as far as like how did I experience it, I felt like it was a real depiction of men. And I don't think it was... um a lot of times when you see black men in books, it's, like, pathological. And I don't think it was pathological. Yeah. I think it just showed, you know, a lot of the, the themes in the book were, like, about family. So you see men who are yearning for, like, their fathers. They're yearning for, you know, specific things they feel they're not getting from their mothers. Um, and perhaps unreasonably as well. And just, you know, going after women. Just typical stuff that men actually do. Yeah, right. the day-to-days. And yeah. we're actually going to get into that, the longing for the fathers, the expectations they have of their mothers. Personally, I thought the book was well-written. It reminded me a bit of Juno Diaz's book. Um, Juno Diaz wrote a collection of stories called This Is How You Lose Her. Juno Diaz is Dominican. Right. I so, think we did an episode on him, our first one. Yeah. So the stories in This Is How You Lose Her are centered around Latinos and black men, but mostly Dominican, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it kind of gave me a similar feeling as to understanding the mind of a man and how men and women think very, very differently. You know, we're, we're both equal, but we think very differently about different topics, about the way that we we see our dads the way that we see our moms the way that we view relationships the way that we view sex because sex is a really big theme in this book right and the way that we consume things is different from men and women so i appreciate when i read a book that's not um it wasn't tacky it wasn't like stereotypical it felt honest it felt true it felt sincere it felt like a real experience yeah And I think to go off of what you're saying, it's funny, I was actually reading a few articles and a few reviews that were um, saying that this collection of short stories by Jamel actually has a lot in common with Janot Diaz's uh, essay in The New Yorker, where he comes out about his sexual abuse. Yeah, one of the stories. Yeah, and I guess um, the similarity or the connection would just be the idea of, you know, bringing up that... I guess intergenerational constructions of masculinity that particularly um, happen within colored communities that we don't often, you know, have people talk about. Mm-hmm. What I liked about this book was the fact that um, oftentimes black men are portrayed as either, you know, the superhero guy or the president, like you know, super super in charge, or he's the villain, like he's really bad and he. He comes across, you know, very stereotypical. But I found that in this collection, it was just ordinary men. People are nuanced. It was just ordinary men with lives that are so relatable. Um, And I think that's what made it an interesting read because it felt like, you know, people that I knew or 
yeah. everyday people. So. Yeah. We're going to get into some of the stories. We won't have time to cover it, them all, but we'll really try to get into some of the stories that stood out the most. I think a really popular story is No More Than a Bubble. It's the first story in yeah. the book. Where we Also, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna, we're going to go into it, but we'll try our best not to give away the message of each stories. So No More Than a Bubble is a story of two young men who go to a party and meet two girls. The boys start a seductive game and it seems to work out in their favor until the tables are turned. It is definitely one of my favorite stories in the book. Just because of the way he wrote it, I I love the way he... Maybe because I'm a girl, I really like the way he portrayed the girls. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, the way that he described the girls, I thought was... It was sensual, but it was positive. It was They weren't just sexual objects. They right. had an effect on them and... They were trying to impress them. And then it turns out the girls are not as cookie cutter as you thought, thought they were. Yeah. And I appreciated that. I also felt like there was a sense of danger in that book. Like you, every with every turn of the page, I was like, what's going to happen? It's, yeah. not that, it's not a thrill a lot at not. all. But it's just like, you're like, okay, this is, um, this is interesting. What were your thoughts on it? Every time I think of No More Than a Bubble, I tend to gravitate towards Naomi and Simple as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the two girls that, yeah. that you mentioned. Um, just because, you know, they, these weren't women who these men conquered. You right. know, typically yes. when you read about men in a book, they're conquering the women. But, you know, um, an encounter with a dog in the, in the book, I don't know if I want to... Yeah, that's a spoiler, Reggie. Yeah. That's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But, Let's just say that these these women uh, taught uh, Claudius and Benito that uh, you know this wasn't going to be your typical conquest. Right. Yes. Yeah. And even from no. if we're going to talk about the men and the, the well the two boys at, at that party, they go into the party and one thing that he says is they were both looking at the curvier girl. They wanted right. the girl with the big ass, and he says in the book. Because that's what black men do, or that's why black men like, yeah. you know, it's top and, behavior. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, my one of my questions was: Is it fair to say that men have a hard time detaching what society wants from them and what they want from themselves? You know, like with him saying, "Well, you know, I'm a black man. That's what I should like." Is it like something that's hard to distinguish? From a man's perspective, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> we want to know. We want to know. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good question because these are the, I guess, the curvier black women are the ones who tend to be, you know, amplified even from when you're young. I mean, I imagine, you know, guys younger than me probably admire, like, have probably admired Beyonce for a long time, and she's been delicious since we've known her you know right and you know um and you know that is a, a stereotype too that you always hear coming up the black women are the women with the big butts and this and that so um it could be falling into a stereotype there um it, it's interesting having that question asked like that because you just think it's it's natural really that you know you're just attracted to these kind of women yeah um you never i guess as a man, I've never considered really whether that has been embedded in me or if it's just something that I've always admired, just, you know, I, I grew into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a wonderful question. Uh, but do you think that it could also be sure. the fact that naturally people are drawn to people within their communities and black women naturally are curvier. Just like in other cultures, women have other distinctive characteristics that men would naturally find attractive because that's also their, their you know, their, their counterparts. Boyfriend. Yeah, that idea makes sense too. I mean, if mm-hmm. that's what you grow up around and you see most of the time, then eventually that's that's what you'll grow up to like. So that I guess that could be in play too for, uh, you know, Claudius and Benito and I guess uh, other black men the world yeah one of the two guys is actually mixed his father yeah, was he's italian his mother was black and 
you know, we, I don't think this is a spoiler, but we kind of get the sense that his father had a fetish yes. for black women. And so yeah. the father and the son, they have a, a conversation one day and his father tells him, you know, there are the types of women you marry and there are the types of women you just have sex with. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think if I'm going to be fair... I think women also have that notion. But from your perspective as a man, is is the father's theory a common understanding between men? I, I, I'd be sitting here lying if I said no. I mean, but but like you said, I do. And this isn't me trying to, like, you know, cake for the men here or anything. But it's just me. I feel like, I feel like everyone kind of has that. Mm-hmm. No matter who you're into, whether you're, you know, men into women, men into men, women into women, women into men, yeah. I feel like there are always, uh, there are always going to be people who you just want to have sex with. Yeah. So that's the only thing I would say about that. But, uh, but in men, for sure, I mean, if you're talking about just, it's probably more encouraged with men is probably the best way to say that. It's more emphasized with men like, hey, listen, some women you're just going to have sex with. I don't know if, you know, because I'm not a woman, I don't know if maybe a young lady and her mom ever have that discussion. That's true. But a boy who's a teenager would definitely have that discussion with his father. I think for me, for sure, I've never had that conversation with my mom. absolutely not. I don't think it's common, but I think more so I will have that conversation with female friends. And like you said, I think maybe it's more predominant with men but i do know that at least with my group of friends i don't want to i'm not going to speak for all women but at least for my group of friends we'll have that conversation where it's like nah man he's it's just like he's not the type of guy you marry Mm -hmm. because of such and such reason obviously women are going to go into he wouldn't make a good father he would make a good husband he's just like a four one night stand or something like that but i admit it's not something i would never discuss that with my mom so it's not a conversation that i would say is as popular as with men but i do have that conversation with my girlfriends what about yeah you? i i think that that's true but i think there's a big distinction still and i think the distinction is um a lot of times men have those notions and they view one woman as the type that you have fun with and one that you know you build a future with and they'll treat them as such and they they won't cross the lines very often women have the same notions however they'll still get involved um wanting you know the the long-term thing from the guy that they identify from day one as the guy that isn't really marriage material true i think men tend to stick to when they have an idea of you they tend to stick to that and i think women they they don't always it's kind of like well maybe i can change Mm -hmm. him or maybe this time it'll be different so i think we both i think men and women think like that i just think how we operate when we meet those people Mm -hmm. i think it translates differently Yeah. yeah i think it's safe to say men tend to stay in that space a little longer where they're just like, hey, I'm just having fun. Yeah. You know, where, whereas, you know, and not to say that they the fun doesn't abruptly end. I'm pretty sure there are instances where a guy is thinking, like, I'm just trying to have fun right now. I'm not really trying to be tied down or whatever the case may be. Then they run into, you know, the woman of their dreams, whatever the case, you know, you want whatever you want to call her. Um, but, yeah, I, I would pretty much agree with uh, Jolene's assessment there. Yeah. We're going to jump into the next story, which is A Lucky Man. In A Lucky Man, the protagonist admires a woman in the subway, and it is later revealed that he took pictures of her. So to to, <laughs> to get into the heart of this, <laughs> right? To get into the heart of this story... You know, just as a general question, in this day and age, you know, where everybody has their cell phones, everybody's taking, everybody's looking for that viral moment. And it's been taken for granted that we take pictures or videos of strangers. To you, is it a violation when a stranger takes pictures of you without your consent? Yes. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yes. <laughs> um, I I'm sorry, you were saying an and. I apologize. Oh, no, you, no, you go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go into right it. In. Get into it. Yeah. No, I mean, that, it, it's, it's. That story just had so much, like, tension from beginning to end. Oh, man. But um, 100% um, Lincoln in that uh, story was violated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 100%. 
I can speak from personal experience. That's actually a way more common than I think people think. I've had that happen to me quite a few times. Yeah. I've been I've been out, especially like I guess you can say in like more party settings, um, and I'm out having a good time with my friends, and I'll see someone recording me. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, and I've actually gotten into confrontations because of it. Yeah. With with men, because they're recording my body or doing something you know really inappropriate. And it stops you from sometimes feeling safe or wanting to be in certain spaces or wanting to, you know, naturally, I think women were kind of grown to be responsible for men's sexuality. So it then becomes this thing where I want to make myself smaller in a room yeah. or, you know what I mean? And and it, it happens. I think people think it's like, a what? no, it happens a lot. Unfortunately, I can say it's happened to me a lot and it's disrespectful and mm. it's disheartening and... um. It's a form of sexual harassment. Yeah. I think for those who do it, I think they take it for granted that, like, I have a phone, yeah. I have Instagram. They think it's funny. It's, yeah, it's we're sharing everything. So here's, I'm going to share that. Right. I see a hot girl, so I'm just going to share that on the right. internet. Not thinking about how you're violating her rights. Right. Because she didn't consent to you taking pictures. Because exactly. some, some of them will take pictures from a certain angle. You know, yes. like... It's, it can get really, re really wild. But the thing that's crazy is that at least you at that party, you saw it. What if you didn't even know? And there, I'm sure there's been times where I, where I have it. Mm -hmm. And the times that I've been privy to it, I've addressed it. But, you know, it, it, it never ends pretty. <laughs> Calling yeah. someone out, and especially in an environment where alcohol is flowing and music is loud. It, it never ends well confronting someone who you feel is violating you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> Yeah. It was like, you know, like you said, calling it sexual harassment. I mean, you're already, you know, women already deal with enough. Exactly. As is. So now you add a, a new, a new issue, which is I'm just walking around. I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, but so-and-so over here is filming my entire walk. Like, yeah, yeah that that's a lot. Yeah. So de definitely a violation. Yeah. To go back to the story, I think... When I was reading it, 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 obviously his marriage is not going too well. Um, it's disclosed pretty early on in the in the story, and um, he was ashamed of his actions or this vice that he had, and he wanted to reconcile with his wife. In a way, you know, the title of the story is a lucky man, and a lot of people would tell him, "Oh, you know, your wife, you have a great wife. She's she's loving. She's beautiful. You're so lucky. You're so lucky." And I think that's where the title comes right. from. And I was wondering, because that's, that's somebody acting out. You're in a good marriage. And I felt like he was kind of rebelling against that image. I don't know if it... I felt like... You guys tell me if you, you thought the same, the same thing. But I thought that he felt like he was living in her shadow. And that's what brought him to, to act up like that. What were your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's safe to say that. I mean, especially when you consider like his past, um, I believe he's like an athlete or something like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, when you're an athlete and you're like in high school or college, you know, you're at the point where, you know, usually a lot of women want to be with you. And you're probably thinking at that time that your life is going to be just this big, huge success story. Yeah. And then, you know, he actually does get the woman of his dreams, but then he doesn't get the life of his dreams. She's working at the Schoenberg, you know, and he's, what, a security guard at an elementary school. So, you know, he, he, he is feeling like he's in her shadow because, you know, once again, we're talking about um, societal pressure here. You know, he's supposed to be the breadwinner, you know, taking care of his wife, you know, bringing home the bacon and all of that. Yeah. And in this situation, he's not. He's also um, described... Uh, in the book, you know, uh, with, with, you know, Big Belly and everything. So, you know, he his co-workers over here telling him how, you know, beautiful his wife is. And, you know, he looks in the mirror and he feels like he's lost it. Yeah. So, a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that um, his actions showed a sense of insecurity and entitlement. Um, yeah. You know, who he was before isn't who he is now and wanting to validate that insecurity within inside himself so this is how he acts out 
The next story I wanted to get into is a family. I thought that story was wild. To give you a brief description, Lena is a widowed mother who is going through a rough patch with her son. He's at that age where he's discovering himself and he's not phased about her opinion. She later meets a man from her past and they build a relationship. I will say also that early in the book, we, we understand that the man she meets um, was the best friend of her late husband. I don't know if they got married. No, eh? No, I don't think so. I don't Okay, so he was best friend with her with her boyfriend who passed away. Um, what did you What did you think of this story? <laughs> <laughs> so, this story is I, I did I do find it fascinating, just because it's a. Uh, it's kind of puts you in a place where you really do have to examine it. Yeah. Um, just because you have the one thing where it's like, okay, uh, Curtis is out of jail and he's, you know, following, you know, Marvin's family around. And then, okay, he's trying to get involved with his best friend's, uh, you know, girlfriend from, you know, 12 years ago, you know, should he even be trying to do that anyway? Um, what were his reasons? What were his motive? Like, why do you think he was following his, around that family? You know, his his motive, I think, was nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I feel like throughout that that story, you just you just would see Curtis always thinking about the past, whether it is. Um, you know, what he was doing uh, prior to uh, being in prison, um, you know, remembering his friendship with Marvin. You would see him remembering New York City as a different place because New York City uh, was gentrified um, when he got out of prison. Um, I feel like him getting, um, getting with Lena and getting into Lena and Andre's life was him kind of getting his old, kind of taking his old life back in a way. Um, so I guess the motive was kind of selfish too. That's interesting. I like that perspective that you have, seeing that he was trying to get his old life back. The way I read it, I thought he was punishing her. Like the things he would say, he would say mean things to her, yeah. the way that he would think. Yeah. It was as if he had a lot of grief over his best friend dying, over his time in jail, over the things that he wanted and couldn't get. You know, I was I was surprised that they that they got together. Both from his perspective and even from her perspective, because she knew who he was and she knew what he wanted to get into. But you know, the the word cruel comes back a lot in that story. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a very interesting I, I actually I know what cruel mean, but I actually looked it up just to really understand what it means, you know. Because it comes back frequently in that story and I I think you know, I, I, I don't know what to make of that story because I, I was I like you said, it is a fascinating story, but you it's like a combination of grief, nostalgia, pain. I I was confused. I don't know, like how could their relationship work? You know, what was bringing them together? Trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think, I know you, you have it as a question here, but I don't think trauma and broken hearts can build a lasting relationship. I think in the, in, in the moment, because it's a vulnerable space, that's how a lot of these relationships get started. But in the long run, I don't know if there's longevity in that. And, and they were they were honest about what they were doing. That's like true. they they knew they knew that they weren't going to be in love with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know they it, it I guess it just felt good to have someone exactly. after all this time. I mean I, I'm pretty sure you know Lena wasn't alone for 12 years. I'm pretty sure she had you know her good times here and there, um, but. Guess it was nice for her to have a piece of Marvin back as well. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, and you know what? I do like uh, I do like Cass's assessment though about uh, uh, Curtis being like mean because that that is on the nose. Because he he was. Yeah, yeah. 
And you know, in regards to her relationship with her son, I guess her son is like a teenager now and he's growing into himself and they bigger sometimes. And I wanted to I wanted to ask a man, so I'm gonna ask you. <laughs> how can how can us as women, how can we handle the layered complexities of a man without mothering them or without emasculating them? Um how can I answer this? I guess it's not really a concern about, I guess, emasculating them. I try, I guess I try not to really think of that just because we kind of want men to, like, be able to do more and know that they're still within masculinity, um, within the realms of it at least, no matter what they're doing. But I guess really what women could do, I, I would say continue doing what they are doing. I feel like mothers tend to do right by their sons. I just think a lot of times sons get frustrated when maybe they don't feel like they have someone who they identify with, uh, you know, showing them what they feel like they need to be taught. And that's something more so for the son to, I guess, deal with. Mm -hmm. There's nothing a mother can do in that regard. Right. You know, and I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that... Um, Because I I, I don't think mothering a son's a bad thing. I mean, I I suppose, you know, I I guess, let me... Because I know there's a phrase out there, y'all might want to help me out with this. I know it's, I guess, moms raise their daughters, mother their sons, or something like that. Okay. Where it's like, I think y'all may know what I'm talking about. They need to do the same thing they do with their daughters, with their sons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure you're you're doing, both of them are getting raised. Mm -hmm. Instead of one being mothered and one being raised. Right. Right. I think that the concept of mothering also comes to from the perception of the man. I think depending on the man, how he will perceive her presence will come across as mothering if he's not accepting of the role that she's trying to play in his life. I don't think women go into a relationship wanting to mother a man. And that sounds like work. No one wants to go in doing that, you know. But I think naturally women pick up where there's lack. And if we feel like we have a job and we feel like you have a job and, you know... Just like if I'm lacking in a place, I would want my partner to come in and, you know, help me with that and vice versa. I think women, we're just naturally observant of the places in our relationships or our households where there's a bit of a lack. And a lot of times she'll she'll be the one to kind of, you know, kind of... I agree with what you're saying. I just think it's it's the way that we do it. Right. So that's why my question was, how can we do it? How can I support you and hold you down without mothering you? Just and just encourage you, you know, like when is me encouraging and pushing and uplifting and keeping up with you? When does it cross over to like, yo, man, you're being my mom right now and not my girlfriend, you know? I think it crosses over depending on the kind of man you're dealing with and your tolerance level. That's what I think because Mm -hmm. a man that that is a man that wants to take care of his responsibilities when he sees. Or understands that his woman is trying to motivate him to do something. If it if it gets to the point where it becomes then naggy or it becomes, you know, a form of mothering, that's because the response isn't what it's supposed to be and the communication is lacking in the relationship. Right. So, I don't know. The, the concept of mothering, I know, I know it, hap- it happens a lot. A lot of men, you know, will say that a lot of women kind of fill in, in in those gaps. And a lot of, a lot of women expect that of their son's wives is for her to be her replacement when she's not in the household. You're kind of, you know, bred to be that way, right? Um, But I think a lot of it has to do with the man's perception of your quote-unquote help. And I think if you're taking it too far, it's because you're not getting the proper response and then that there's a communication breakdown. Speaking of, we're going to get into Jouvet. (laughs) Jouvet? Is that how you say it? Jouvet. We're going to get into (laughs) Jouvet. It's one of the highlights of the book. Jouvet is the story about a boy. I'm not good with names. Richie, I see that you're really good with the names. I'm not good with the names. (laughs) But basically, this young boy, his father is incarcerated and he's craving a male presence in his life. He's raised by his mother and um, his mother has a boyfriend and he feels some type of way about that. And um, we're going to get into the story. (laughs) Let's get into Jouvet. What did you think about this story? Um, Juve was very interesting to me 
because you have the the narrator, the main character, Ty. And this is this is one of the more, I guess, novelistic stories, just because you have a protagonist and you have like a, a journey that they're on. Mm-hmm. You know, his his journey is to be his dad, essentially. Yeah. His journey is to be his dad because his dad is not there. Yeah. And one way he can be his dad, based off his memory that he had 10 years ago, is to go to Juve and, and have a good time. And and just seeing Ty battling uh, all these, combating all these different emotions are, are, are how, how can I say this? Ty is he's battling within himself so many, I guess, conflicting emotions. Um, just in terms of, okay, you know, I want to be my dad, you know, and then you have the whole thing where he's mad at his mom because, you know, he's in jail, so she shouldn't be living her life. She should just be waiting for him. He hates her for it. Then he also has to be protective of his younger brother, Omari. Yeah. Uh, which adds another layer to this adventure because, you know, while he's having fun, he also kind of playing father figure ironically right so I, I i like juve a lot it was a good it was a good story for those that don't know juve is like a big party a big celebration because i know we're using the term loosely and people are like what's a juve <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a party um and he goes and he has a did you find it humorous when he was dancing with the older woman <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> like, that that is that was interesting like to see that actually written. Yes. Uh, just just in a in a book in general. You talk about being relatable. Yes. Like, that, that was interesting to see and the fact that he really couldn't handle it either. It was even more funny. I like that story a lot too. I thought I thought that was a good touch it was just so realistic and it's something that you know if you've ever been to juve or carnival or anything like that you've seen and you've experienced so kind of like reggie say to see it written in the book is like oh my god this is so real life like, yeah which is one thing jamel did well one of my questions what what are your thoughts on sons who look up to their fathers whether the father is present or not how does it shape them? Reggie, you kind of touched on that, you know, with him looking for his father, searching for his father from the memories he had from years ago. But I like what you said because I didn't think about that, the fact that he was actually being a father figure to his little brother. And he he was dealing with a lot, that boy, because he was acting up, you know, like he's at that age where he's trying to figure out who he is as a man. Exactly. And what I really appreciated about the book is we see the motions that he goes through, like his thoughts and the emotions that he has, whether it's, you know, his vulnerability, shame, lack of confidence, the violence that he that he expresses sometimes, the fear that he has. And I appreciated that Jamel wrote that story that way so we could really see the range of emotions because I felt like a lot of times men are not allowed to express those type of expression those type of emotions as freely as women do and it seemed like he bottled up these emotions and just expressed anger or aggressivity or violence i mean i i I think i think your analysis is on point yeah um it's just he was going through a lot and one thing you know we're not even mentioning here is the fact that you know he's also being bullied too yeah he has um, the kid, you know, Trip, who, yeah. you know, you see in the book who, you know, takes away his hat, his hat that belonged to his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not only is he dealing with actually not having his dad, you know, who's in jail, you know, mass, mass incarceration being, I guess, a, a totally different episode. I, I, I Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then you have the fact that you know, there's this kid who's, you know, around your age, who is bigger than you, who is taking away what little you have left to remember uh, of your dad. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's a man that comes into the household, too. So, you know, he he, he probably feels like that's stepping on um, a ground that he finds sacred between 
you know, him and his father. His father's not there, so now he's the man of the house, but it doesn't really quite quite work like that. And I think that's also something that we see him dealing with in this story. Yeah, and he holds a lot of grief yeah. over his mom for that. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. It's you know, and the last note I'll say about that was we see it in Jouvet, but it also happens in other stories in the book how it seems like boys only see their moms in like one way which is mom and my mom should only come home cook for me clean up after me and and that's it just be a mom like they forget that mothers are women and they have desires and they have needs and they have different interests and tastes so they couldn't see the multifaceted aspect of their moms but they were way more quick to forgive their fathers for doing things outside of the fatherly role. Yeah, yeah. I like that, actually. That's true. We're less forgiving when moms do things outside of the conventional yeah. <laughs> expectations. Than when so. fathers do. That's, that's that double standard. Double yeah. standard 101 there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we won't be able to get into all of the stories. But just to close out the episode... How do you, what do you think of the book in this moment and place? You know, like you were saying, you, you don't know a lot. You didn't really know a lot of contemporary black authors that talked about the black man experience. Do you feel like, you know, you or Jolene, do you guys feel like this book is, is fitting in this moment in, in time? Do you feel like we needed to hear those voices? I would say, yeah, just because, um, like I said at the beginning, it's everyday people. Yeah. These stories, um, they reflect everyday scenarios and situations and it's a voice for a community um and a demographic that doesn't often have a voice to be vulnerable and express themselves in these moments so i think the book is on point i think it's on time yeah uh, and i think it's a great read and i think people should should read it and i and i find that um and i, I think i've said this before maybe even a few times i love collections of short stories I think for people who aren't huge on reading and they and they want to get into reading, I actually think this is the best way to do it because you're reading a few stories at a time. Yeah. And, you know, opposed to reading a long novel that for some people looking at it from the outside can be very taxing or be very overwhelming. Yeah. I think these collections of short stories is the perfect way to go. And if you're out there and you haven't read one yet, start with Jamal's it's it's awesome that's a good recommendation yeah I you know when I see the reviews on the internet I see a lot of people focus on the masculinity aspect right and I kind of it kind of bothered me because I I don't think it's a book about masculinity it's about the black male experience yes but it's about their experience as a whole like how they view certain situation how they view certain relationship how they view themselves and how they go about their lives so you see way more than just their masculinity i felt like it was much more it was an honest take on different black men's lives it was real it was it felt authentic so i kind of have a little bit of grief over people really? focusing only on the you i didn't when i read the book i didn't feel like it was like oh yeah that's masculinity but I think that's I think that's the point is that the book challenges masculinity and that's what makes masculinity relevant in the book because it challenges our conventional thoughts of how we view masculinity and masculinity comes in the most ordinary subtle ways instead of us categorizing men that don't act a certain way as not masculine or do act a way as, as masculine this book is literally masculinity because we're dealing with men and their experiences and however they experience that that is the form of masculinity that they embody yeah i mean that that's i'm i'm kind of along that train too where it's just like because he's focusing on men it, it's automatic it's i'm about to say automatically <laughs> so <laughs> because they <laughs> because he is focusing on men it, it's automatically a book about masculinity whether we want it to be or not because anything that these men would do would fall into uh, it, it falls into masculinity just because they're men doing ordinary things or men doing extraordinary things, right? What, what, I, what I really liked about this book was just the fact that it's men, it's men figuring stuff out too. And, it's, and, and you see a lot of men not sure uh, just what to do. And, and, and I know we spoke about a family already, but that is like 
uh, a really good example of what this book is about. Just men really not being sure, but which is something that a lot of people probably wouldn't like, you know, because the idea of the man is the man is, is decisive. Right. Mm. You know, he knows what he wants and he goes directly after it. And I think this book was relatable for me in that regard because I'm not always decisive about everything. I'm, there's a lot of stuff I am figuring out. Mm. And whether that has to do with my family, uh, whether it has to do with my career, with friendships, with relationships, there's a lot of things I'm just not sure about. And also, sometimes you want something, but then you get it and you realize, you know, I wasn't prepared for this. Mm-hmm. This is bigger than what I expected. Yeah. Uh, going back to no more than a bubble. You wanted right. these two women, but really, did you? Is this what you expected? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Just, you, you see a lot of uncertainty in this collection and that that resonated with me a lot too and just to go back to just the ordinary people conversation i feel like although there's another story collection i I know i saw cassie uh reading it uh heads of the color people yeah and although that book is more satirical uh you know um infused with humor i do feel like these collections do share a lot of in common in that regard where it's, it's a book about black people that isn't always concerned with, you know, white supremacy. Yes, it's just yes. concerned with black people dealing with their own issues and their own relationships. Yeah. And I like that as well because publishers tend to publish books where, you know, black people are being oppressed in the story of the, the the main journey of the protagonist is to fight this oppression and it's not always like that you know we we do have issues in our home that we have to battle with as well and mm-hmm. sometimes it's good to just read that yeah 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 that's a really good that's a good point and yeah, even to point. to touch more on the heads of the colored people even the author that's what she said she said i wanted to read about myself I wanted to read about my day-to-day life, and I, I wasn't seeing it anywhere else, so I wrote a book about that. And even me, too, personally, that's what I crave. When I mm. read from Black authors, I crave to see myself, which is a normal girl living day-to-day, facing struggles at work, facing struggles in relationships, how I face life, what I, how I make my decisions, the fun side, the, the the loving side, all of our different sides and all the different layers that we have to, are in our lives. Like, for sure, we face discrimination and oppression, but there's more to life, too. We have beautiful, full, complex lives, and I crave a lot to read that. And so Heads of the Collie People is... One of my favorite books yeah. of the year. We had a really good time recording that. Yeah. Recording that. So. Yeah. Yeah. How would you rate A Lucky Man? I gave it five stars. <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. Um, it, it was a wonderful collection. And, and I know I didn't really speak much to this just during, like, talking about the stories. But the writing was tremendous as well. Yeah. Just, you know, reading, like, interviews with Brinkley you know, you'll see, like, he's very meticulous uh, when it comes to crafting these stories. It's like a sentence-by-sentence thing with him. Yeah. And it, it shows in this book. And just the the, the different stories, um, the fact that they were so linear, since, you know, it starts out in 95, and then the collection kind of ends, you know, in, in a gentrified uh, New York yeah. Um, just the fact that there were so many black men and the fact that, you know, for, for me even too, just, you know, you're, you're depicting straight black men who are...
just going through regular things. It's not, once again, it's just not this pathological collection of men who are criminals and who are hoodlums or this or that. The typical stuff you see getting published. Yeah. Uh, it, It was just wonderful to see just black masculinity uh, being more complex yeah. and nine different examples of that. So, yeah. yeah, I would read it. I would read it a five as well. I think it was a, it was a good read. I know at first I was, I wasn't as compelled and then I got into it and then it kind of just took off from there. I would say that, um, kind of to go off what Reggie was saying, I was actually listening to an, um, a reading that he did at a university and he actually talked about initially he didn't, you know, place the stories um, he, he never thought he wanted to, he cared to place the stories in any particular order. Um, but as it was being published, he did. And it's supposed to take you on a bit of a journey. Um, and I think the book delivered on that. So. I think he wrote really well. He has a very clean mm-hmm. style of writing. Even the way that he writes the stories, each one of them are linear. I would rate it. Okay, I'm going to go against the grain here and say 3.5. And the reason why is because I found some of the stories were slow. Okay. And I understand why they were slow because I feel like some of them, the message was really midway. And at the end of the story, you were really like, oh, okay, that's really what's going on. And you were taking me through those motions but I just felt sometimes like it was kind of slow sometimes but it is a book that I would recommend I love recommending books to my male friends especially those that I know are not big readers and I would recommend this book over and over again for that reason awesome I had a great time yeah this was really cool Reggie (laughs) like thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective on things it was really really cool really interesting I feel like we had like a really full conversation agree, because yeah. of that. No, uh, Cassie and Jolene, thank y'all very much. I'm I'm really honored and privileged to be a part of uh, an episode of your podcast. Uh, and y'all are doing wonderful and just pleasures all mine. Seriously, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Well, that concludes another episode of Miss Red Podcast, and thank you guys for joining. Yes, we'll see you next time.